Well, if you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you to turn to John chapter 4. We will be looking at the first 15 verses of John chapter 4 as we continue our study in the Gospel of John. And this is what we read in those first 15 verses. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me? a woman of Samaria, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Well, if you are familiar at all with the Gospel of John, you will know that this is the famous encounter that Jesus has with the woman at the well. The encounter with the woman at the well takes up most, not all, but most of John chapter 4. So we are going to look at it in three parts. So this is the first of three sermons on the woman at the well. And what I want to do first this morning is give you the cultural and historical background of what happens or how this conversation comes about and is guided. It is always important in any passage of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation to know the cultural and historical background, but it is especially important in a passage like this. In fact, without some knowledge of the background and culture, we can't fully understand this particular passage. So our first point this morning is a woman from Samaria. Jesus is about to have a divine encounter with a woman from Sychar in Samaria. In verses 1 through 3, it says, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee. Now the Pharisees are learning what we've seen the last two Sundays. 
And that is all the multitude, all the followers that were coming out to John the Baptist are now leaving. They're leaving him and they're going after Jesus. And the Pharisees have taken note of this. And it says that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John. And then it says this in parentheses. John adds for us, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. Now that's interesting, because in John chapter 3, it says that Jesus was baptizing. In John chapter 4, it says Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. So how do we reconcile that? It seems like a contradiction between chapter 3 and chapter 4. But it really isn't a contradiction, and a number of writers have pointed this out. And it's a beautiful truth. And that truth is this. When you baptize in the name of Jesus and in the authority of Jesus, it's as if Jesus himself is doing the baptizing. Think of what that means for a church like ours. If you baptize in the name of Jesus and in the authority of Jesus, it's as if Jesus himself is doing the baptizing. So it says he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. Jesus and his disciples, as they always were, were on the move again. Well, in verse 4, it says this, and he had to pass through Samaria. Now, that's an interesting verse and actually quite a famous verse. Entire sermons have been preached on that one verse, verse 4, and he had to pass through Samaria. Now, The Samaritans, and we're going to look at this more in a little bit, but the Samaritans and the Jews despised one another. They had very little to do with each other. They had a very, very strong dislike for one another. They were ethnic enemies, if you will. And so if you were traveling from Judea to Galilee, Even though the straightest course was right through Samaria, you wouldn't go through Samaria. You would do everything you could to go around Samaria. Much longer trip, but for the Jewish people, it was well worth it because they didn't have to deal with those Samaritans. But it says Jesus had to pass through Samaria. Jesus goes directly through Samaria because there was someone there that he needed to meet. So it says in verse 5 to the first part of verse 7, So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. So he comes to Sychar. And he comes to the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Earlier in his life, Jacob had purchased this particular plot of land. And then later, as we learn in Genesis chapter 48, Jacob allots the various land to his 12 sons. And he gives this particular plot of land to Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. It is one of the wells that Jacob had dug, and this was a particularly good well. It was a very deep well and had very good water. In fact, a couple of thousand years later, the people of this area are still drawing water from 
this well. And kind of a sidebar to all of this that you might find interesting, people are still drinking from Jacob's well today. That's how good a well it is. It was deep, good water. And, in a sense, it was revered by both the Jews and the Samaritans because it was a well that Jacob, one of the patriarchs, had dug. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, sits beside the well. Now, much of the Gospel of John focuses on the deity of Christ, the fact that he is fully God. But here, we have a strong statement on his humanity, that he was fully human, 100% God, 100% human at the same time. And it says he was weary, and he sits down beside the well. He's tired, he's worn out, he's thirsty, so he sits beside the well. What a wonderful reminder to all of us this morning that our Savior experienced what we experience. When you are tired, when you are weary, and maybe even some of you are this morning, he understands. He's experienced it. In his humanity, he would get tired, he would get hungry, he would get thirsty. And it says it was about the sixth hour. I just it's so fascinating how the Holy Spirit causes John to insert this um, particular uh, detail here. The sixth hour was high noon. It was when the sun was at its hottest. For the Jewish people, they would begin to count the hours from 6 a.m. That's when their day would start. And so six hours from 6 a.m. would be noon. And so it is important to this whole story that it is noon and the sun is at its hottest because it says a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Now, this is unusual. It's unusual for a couple of reasons. First of all, women usually came to draw water in the early part of the day or the late part of the day when the sun wasn't so hot and it wouldn't be so laborious for them. And when the women would come to draw water for their own safety and protection, they would come in groups. They wouldn't come by themselves. But here in the heat of the day, all by herself, is this woman, which tells us something about her. We are going to learn next week in part two that this is a woman who had a troubled past. She had been married five times. She had had five different husbands, and the man that she was living with right now was not her husband. And in a culture like this, you can imagine that she was an outcast. She was ostracized from her community, a pariah, if you will. And she couldn't come when the other women did because they criticized her, because they wouldn't socialize with her. So this woman had to come day after day in the hottest part of the day in order to draw water. So that's the background that leads up to the conversation. But before we dig further into this passage of Scripture, there are three big-picture truths that we need to know. Three big-picture truths. So what I want us to do this morning is kind of step back, get a big kind of you know, airplane view of the Gospel of John and how this particular passage fits into it. First big picture truth. Jesus 
knew everything about this woman before he ever met her. As I've shared with you before, we in theology call this omniscience. It's one of the characteristics or character traits of God, one of his attributes. He is omniscience, omniscient. He knows everything. We saw this so clearly at the end of John chapter 2, and the Apostle John wants you to keep seeing this. If you remember, when I preached on the end of John chapter 2, I said, hang on to this passage. Make a mental note about this passage. At the end of John chapter 2, Jesus is at the Jewish Passover, and it says that many believed in him because of the signs they saw him doing. But in John chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, it says, But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Jesus knew all people. He knew their hearts. He didn't need anyone to tell him about mankind. He already knows everything about them. He knows what's in a man. He knows what's in a woman. He doesn't have to read a book about you or a book about me or watch a video about you or a video about me because he knows everything about us. Jesus knows everything about every person. Everything about you, Jesus knows perfectly. Second big picture truth. There is a powerful and eternal contrast between Nicodemus in chapter 3 and the woman from Samaria in chapter 4. And I believe that the Apostle John, again under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wants every one of us this morning to see the great contrast between Nicodemus and this woman. Jesus evangelizes both of them. But we have Nicodemus, a man, a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews. He was a man who tried to perfectly keep the moral law, or excuse me, to keep the moral law of Moses and the traditions of men that the Pharisees had added to the law. Nicodemus tried to be morally perfect. Here we have in chapter 4 a woman, a Samaritan woman, a Samaritan woman who led an immoral life. You couldn't have two more different people. But here's the point, everybody. Jesus loves them both. They both are lost. They both need a Savior. Jesus wants both of them to come to eternal life. And here's why they're side by side. It's because Jesus came for everybody. Jesus came for everybody. Third big picture truth. Jesus never did anything by chance or accident. This is a divine appointment. This is a divine appointment. Jesus came to this particular well at this particular time in order to meet this particular woman. Everything that Jesus does is deliberate and intentional. This wasn't one of those, how about that? We just happened to meet here at the same time. No, no, he had it all planned out. And so that gives us 
some of the background for this important conversation and leads us to our second point, which is living water. Jesus, our supreme example of how to do evangelism, begins a spiritual conversation with the simple phrase, give me a drink. When he met with Nicodemus, it was a lesson for all of us on how to witness, how to share your faith. When he meets with the woman at the well, it is a lesson for all of us on how to witness, how to share your faith with someone else. And he starts with a very, he starts a, a very important spiritual conversation with the simple phrase, give me a drink. Look at verses 7 through 9. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman, of Samaria, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. He says, give me a drink. And then there's this parenthesis, this divine inspired parenthesis that says, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Do you know why they went into the city to buy food? Well, obviously they were hungry. But do you know why they went into the city? Because Jesus didn't want them there. He just told them to go buy food. He didn't want them there. He wanted to be alone. He wanted to talk to this woman one on one. He wanted to deal with her spiritual need, with her need for salvation. And the Samaritan woman said to him, She's baffled. She's puzzled. Because in this culture, and I know this is a little hard for the, us to grasp. But in this particular culture, in a public setting, rarely, especially on an occasion like this, would a man speak to a woman. It just didn't happen. You would do that in private. You would do that in more private settings. So here is a Jew, and they despised each other, these two ethnic groups. Here is a Jew. The question has come up, how did she know he was a Jew? It's an interesting question. Some writers believe, as it often is in, even in, around the world today, she recognized him by his accent, by his pronunciation, perhaps by the way he was dressed. But she did know he was a Jew. How can a Jewish man be asking me, a woman of Samaria, for a drink? And then the Holy Spirit guides John to write, the Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Now, it didn't mean that the Jews never dealt with Samaritans. It doesn't mean that's not the interpretation of that because the disciples were in the city. They were buying food, at, supposedly at a Samaritan market. But it means when it came to anything cultural, ceremonial, religious, they just had nothing to do with, with each other. They despised one another. Now, why was that? Or why is that? And let me give you just a little background here. And some of you may already know this. So if, you, you, if you're aware of this, um, please bear with me. Because if you've never heard this before, I think it's important for you to understand. Not only for this passage, but for the whole of the New Testament. King Solomon, 
back in the Old Testament, reigned over the last unified Israeli empire, completely unified at that time. After Solomon's reign, the kingdom of Israel divided into two separate kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. In the southern kingdom of Judah, they retained the capital city of Jerusalem and they continued to worship at the temple. But in the northern kingdom of Israel, they made Samaria their capital and they would worship at Mount Gerizim. So they had become two separate nations, often hostile toward one another. The northern kingdom of Israel really strayed from the Lord. They departed far from the Lord in disobedience until finally in approximately 722 BC the Assyrian, the great Assyrian empire at that time came and conquered them. And what the Assyrians did is they took the elite, most intellectual, well-educated people from the northern kingdom and they deported them to Assyria. Then they took peoples from other nations that they had conquered and they moved them to this northern part of Israel into Samaria. So those foreign peoples intermarried with the people of northern Israel, with the Samaritans. And they also brought their false religious beliefs. And so what we have is this muddled uh, syncretism, this all kinds of religious beliefs all blended together, really having no significant meaning. And so they were all over the place theologically, and religiously and that is important for this so those Jews who had remained close to the Lord those Jews who came back from the Babylonian exile and resettled the land despised the Samaritans they despised them for the Jews the Samaritans were ceremonially unclean They were racially impure. They used to call them half-breeds. And they were religious heretics. They were false teachers, and so they would have nothing to do with them, or almost nothing to do with them, especially on a religious, cultural, ceremonial basis. And so it helps us to understand verse 9. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria. And in verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. I want you to notice how he, how similar it is he deals with the woman that he dealt with, Nicodemus. He doesn't give her a lot of background. He just goes right to the heart of the issue. If you knew the gift of God, if you knew who was talking to you, ma'am, you would have asked me and I would have given you living water. She is baffled, understandably so. Do you know what Jesus is doing here? He's giving her a riddle. He's giving, he knows she doesn't get this. He gives her a riddle, in essence, so that she'll think about it again and again and again. That'll continue to go over and over in her mind. Living water, living water. What does he mean by living water? So she says, 
In verses 11 and 12, the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Because again, both the Jews and the Samaritans revered Jacob. He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. So you you don't even have anything to draw water with. Now, again, a little cultural background. If you were a person living at this time in history in the first century, you, if you traveled any distance, you would carry with you a goatskin bucket. You would do that because if you needed water, you would take that bucket and you would use it at a well or some other source of water. Jesus didn't have one with him. You know why he didn't have one with him? Because the disciples had it. And you know why he didn't have it with him? Because he didn't want it. He didn't want it. He wanted to ask her for a drink. See, he deliberately, intentionally, did not have his goatskin bucket with him so he could ask this woman for a drink. And she says, you're not telling me you're greater than Jacob, are you? I mean, this is his well. You know that. And you know how important this well is to all of us. You know that he drank from it. His sons drank from it. They brought their livestock here. Then Jesus ups the ante. He adds to the riddle. He gives her more to think about. In verses 13 and 14, Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Oh, ma'am, if you drink this water, you'll never be thirsty again. You drink this water, it will spring up. It will be a spring of water welling up to eternal life. That term, spring of water welling up, is interesting. It literally means to leap up. It will be water leaping up inside of you, not just one time, but over and over again, every day, every year, for the rest of your life, and on into eternity. Am I greater than Jacob? Oh, yes. I'm far greater than Jacob. I'm far greater than the patriarchs. I can give you living water. I can give you water that will never uh, make you thirst again, that will be a spring of water welling up to eternal life, everlasting life, to salvation. And so she says in verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. I want this water because I don't want to keep coming back to the well at high noon, avoiding all the women of the community. And so she's still thinking, In a physical, she's starting to get it. And we're going to see in the weeks to come, she does get it. Praise God, she does get it. But right now, she's still thinking in the physical realm. This woman is struggling in the same way that Nicodemus did. Nicodemus said, how can a man be born when he is old? Can a man enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? What do you mean, Jesus Unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. She's struggling with the very same thing. I want this water. I don't want to keep bringing my bucket back here every day. She's thinking. 
The Holy Spirit is using this to convict her. And folks, let this be a reminder to every single one of us. When you share spiritual truth with someone, they won't get it all right away. It's okay. The Holy Spirit will use it. That person who walks away from you, apparently indifferent and uninterested, may take that gospel presentation you gave them, and they're just going to let it go over and over and over again in their minds. Well, we're going to leave that right here and pick it up again next Sunday morning. But before we close, I want us to think carefully about five things that Jesus says about the water that he gives. Five things that Jesus says about the water that he gives. First of all, he says, it is the gift of God. Isn't that great? Salvation is the gift of God. When we think about salvation being a free gift, we think of passages like Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We think of Titus 3, 5. He saved us not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. But we usually don't think of John chapter 4. One of the first things he tells her about this living water is it's a gift. It's a gift that God gives you. Second, he says it's living water. Do you know why it's living water? Because it makes dead men and women alive. Ephesians 2 says that we are dead in our trespasses and sins and living water brings us back to life. It gives us spiritual life. It gives us eternal life. The third thing he says, if you drink it, you will never thirst again. How precious are those words. You will never thirst again. I mentioned this in last week's message. Only Jesus can satisfy the deepest longings and needs in your soul. Your career won't do that for you. Your family won't do that for you. Your material possessions won't do that for you, no matter how many of them you may have, but Jesus will. Those yearnings, that nagging deep within your soul, that thought that you have as you lay in bed, there's got to be more to life than this. All of those cravings, all of those longings find their fulfillment in Jesus. Oh, if you drink of this water, you will never thirst again. Fourth, he says it will become a spring of water welling up in us. It's not just a one-time drink. It is leaping up within us. It is the abundant life that Jesus talks about in John chapter 10. It leaps up within us. It brings us joy. It brings us exhilaration in Christ. Not just one day, but every day, every year, for the rest of our lives and on into eternity. And fifth, it gives eternal life, everlasting life, salvation in Christ, life that never ends. Well, I want to leave you with two thoughts this morning. But before I do, I I want to mention this verse. I want to mention this verse. We looked at it just a few weeks ago. Think of Nicodemus. Think of the woman at the well. And think of John 3.17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, 
but in order that the world might be saved through him. That's why he met with Nicodemus. That's why he meets with this woman. That's why he meets with me and he meets with you. Not to condemn us, but to save us. Now those two thoughts that I mentioned. I want to leave you with two thoughts. First thought is this. This woman is thirsty. She doesn't realize it, but she is really thirsty. Had five husbands. man she's living with is not her husband. She is morally, spiritually, emotionally bankrupt. She's worn out. She's just worn out. Little does she know. She's talking to eternal life. She's talking with him face to face. Second thought I want to leave you with is this. John Piper says that in John chapter 4, Jesus is the proverbial hound of heaven. He is pursuing her. What a beautiful picture. He is pursuing this woman. He wants her to be saved. He wants her to come to a knowledge of the truth. He wants her to drink of the living water. He wants her to experience everlasting, eternal life. He loves her more than we will ever understand. And so I want you to grab, with all, grab hold of with all your might. She's not pursuing him. He's pursuing her. She's not pursuing him. He, he is pursuing her. Oh, the grace of God. Anyone can come to him. Anyone. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the living water. We thank you for the living water that is found in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that has brought us from death to life that has given us eternal life, that is a spring of water welling up in us, leaping up within us every day, helping us to know the joy of the Lord. Oh, if there is anyone, Lord, that has not tasted of this living water, I pray they would. I pray they would come to him who is life, who is life eternal, in whose name we pray. Amen.